0: Hello, and welcome to Broads and Books. I'm Amy. And I'm Erin, and this is episode 106, Sabotage. Sabotage. Uh So this is from the Beastie Boys.
1: Uh If you didn't
0: already want to just burst into song with that word. I realized that I remembered all of the lyrics to this song Mm -hmm. when I played it on Friday to pump myself up and to remind myself of this song. And you did as well. I did. Yeah. It's just quality music. It's a quality music. And it can... Bring up so many feelings. Sure does. That
1: feel good (laughs) to let out. If you're needing a release and you don't have a chance to go to a rage room right this second,
0: this feels like a sort of TED talk on the benefit of music. Yes. Yeah. On
1: the benefit of the Boys sabotage specifically.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, I love this song. Mm-hmm. I love this video. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen the video in a while, check it out. Yes. It's them and uh, fake mustaches and wigs running around like crazy cops. Yes. It's pretty great. Doing some sabotage. Doing some sabotage. <laughs> <laughs> but I liked, I mean, besides just the song. Right. I liked the idea of sabotage in, in a self-sabotage way. Yes. Like the things that we might do to uh limit ourselves Mm -hmm. the things we might do to stop ourselves from achieving our damn dreams Mm -hmm. and goals that's life isn't it right before you really figure out life and how to do life Mm -hmm. and even once you do figure it out Mm -hmm. it's like oh no there's part of your brain
1: that's like yeah Yeah. let's just
0: see what we can put in front of her
1: i say it all the time in reference to other people i realized when we were prepping this week that i always say he just can't get out of his own way
0: yeah, I say that all the time. You do actually, yeah,
1: like he's or successful in spite of himself.
0: Yeah, I say yeah. that
1: a lot. Granted, more in our our business Specifically uh, That's where
0: I was going in my mm-hmm. head, thinking specifically of the men that email you. Yeah, that you are successful in spite of yourself. Yep, meaning you're doing you're everything you an can asshole. to shoot yourself in the foot, but yet somehow you've somehow. survived.
1: Yes, good job. Good you. job. Good job. You
0: can't even <laughs> take yourself down. <laughs> if you didn't sabotage yourself, and you could be a good person, right? A decent person, right? Something I Maybe. don't know. Yeah.
1: Do you have an example from like your childhood of self sabotage?
0: <laughs> uh, yes, a very specific one. In that I needed glasses for a long time <laughs> 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 before I got them. Mm. Um, I think I discovered in at age fifteen, uh, a teacher noticed me squinting. At the blackboard or the whiteboard or whatever it was those days. And uh, somehow I think she might have got me to a school nurse or someone. And they're like, oh, you need glasses. Like, oh, that's true. I can't see really anything. So so that's necessary. But then the self-sabotage comes in because once I got the glasses... I was such a slave to beauty standards that I was like, I don't want to wear these all the time. So I'm just going to wear them in the classroom. Yeah. It's fine that I can't see anything else that I can't see when I drive. And it's fine that I can't see like the people that I'm talking to. Right. And this lasted from high school into college. So it's fine that I'm walking home uh, on the Iowa campus and can't see like 15 feet in front of me. It's totally fine. That's safe.
1: Yeah. That sounds safe.
0: It probably helped. Um... Me not see the the terribleness of the dudes I was making out with. And I stuff. was just so, gonna I mean, say, it might have early boyfriends way. should be yeah. happy
1: about this yeah. <laughs> because it allowed them to sneak under some it did. some it did. guidelines, which there.
0: added to the sabotage. Yeah, part. that's also yeah, yeah, self sabotage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, if I had just decided, like, hey, sight is maybe more important than you know my face and the, and and Fair. the things that say that glasses are not attractive, mm. that might help me see the world around me. It might. In a very literal sense. Yeah. Eventually I discovered or I I got financial access to contacts and I was like, oh, look at that. Look at this. But now that I'm in my age that I am, Mm -hmm. suddenly I can't see things close to me either. Yeah. So now I'm in the glasses stage again. Yeah. And here we are. Uh Here we are, Erin. Here we are. Yeah. But
1: you're older and wiser. I am. No better than to sabotage your eyes with (laughs) not helpful non-prescription glasses all right right mm-hmm. right, right right. yep mm-hmm.
0: i've decided that i like to see it's it's an important it's thing it's helpful yeah it yeah. is yeah it really is yeah uh-huh. Uh-huh. so a question for you mm-hmm. speaking of getting older yeah as you have gotten older mm-hmm. are there any systems or strategies you have started to use to help with any self-sabotage
1: yes um i i would say that one of my biggest areas of self-sabotage besides like you know we all do the negative self-talk yes. self-worth type stuff i'm a procrastinator at heart like mm-hmm. i need a deadline for me to feel like i'm gonna get this done yeah. like i just operate better under that confine and that can be self-sabotage because if i spread things out i wouldn't be as stressed mm-hmm. or have to dedicate eight hours straight to one thing but
0: that's logic Aaron. come on now right yeah
1: but as i've gotten older i've realized that my need to have a list and check it off mm-hmm. is greater then I need to procrastinate. So if I break it up into Whoa. daily tasks that I have to get done or I can't check it off, I can't highlight that item, I can't move on, I'll do it.
0: You have tricked your brain. I have. That is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And smart.
1: It, it's, I know it sounds counterintuitive a little bit. Like, how does your brain not know that you could just not do it? But
0: your brain loves to check off a checklist. It does. There's loves it so much. It,
1: I found the one thing that my brain likes more than mm-hmm. self-sabotage mm-hmm. and that I employ on, on diligent and ridiculous levels. I, I have strict instructions upon my death for <laughs> Mike to burn my planners because yeah, I, yeah, am, yeah. I yeah. feel like people would be like, what happened to this lady?
0: Listen, those are for you and yourself and your God or whoever. Yeah. Me only. Yeah.
1: Me only. (laughs) I don't journal, but I started this year... like a, a a book diary, like every book oh, that yeah, I read, yeah. I'm writing down what I like, some little thoughts about it, the cover and stuff. Look
0: at you, because
1: I decided that that's the thing I want to leave my great great grandchildren when they're like, what was great 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 grandma like? i am be like, these are the books she was reading, mm-hmm. these were the thoughts. Like, how cool would that be if that you had so that from cool. a relative, right? Yeah. So those feel free not to burn. Okay. The planner sure. with the detailed list of like 10 a.m. bathroom trip, check off, <laughs> highlight those you can burn.
0: <laughs> I feel like this way that you've tricked your brain. Yeah. is a very important thing that you could spread to other people. I you could so. talk about this in a uh you could monetize this. I think you could so. turn it into a cult. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically real popular all this. business books tell yeah. you like, <laughs>
1: There's one that's been popular for a while that I read, and you will never hear me talk about on the podcast outside of this, because it's a shit book. Okay. It's called Miracle Morning, and it's really about- Waking up one hour earlier and how much, but they what what bothered me is that the author is presenting this, yeah, as though this is like revolutionary. And I feel like that's the same thing. Like I make a list to trick my brain. It was the same idea. If you get up an hour earlier and you dedicate that time to making a list of the things you want to get done, you'll get those things done, and your life will suddenly be organized and prosperous and okay. successful. Okay. And I'm like, listen, I cool it. First of all, yeah, cool it. Second of all, there's a lot of scientists that would disagree with the idea that losing out on sleep right. is going to make you more successful yeah and also we've been here we've like been yeah here. thank you work more is your yeah. advice basically yes.
0: <laughs> get up earlier and work
1: more you lazy piece of shit
0: and make yourself super anxious about the use of your time right make sure that you are spending every waking yeah. minute
1: because nothing says 6 a.m. Like, I got to do this list and I got to get it done. Yeah. I love a list, but I'm not doing it. I'm. That's not how that's And from happening. the first
0: moment of waking up, like, ah,
1: I got to go. Right. I got to start right now. And I will tell you in all the reading I've done about natural circadian rhythms and sleep is that what you should be doing is making that list at the end of your work day so that it's out of your brain you can appropriately relax that evening mm-hmm. and you can fall asleep without all of those things running in your head that you feel like you need to write down in the morning.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a way to get it out. I would like to return to something you said in which you said, all the research I've done on circadian rhythms. So is this an extensive amount of research that you've been I've doing? i a lot of okay. books. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Is this something that... Uh, y- y- You've been troubled by sleep problems or? A little bit. Like I I am naturally a
1: morning person. I do better in the morning. But then I've noticed as I've gotten older, I can wake up very easily. But I do probably my best work mid-morning.
0: Yeah. So I've just
1: been always a little bit fascinated by genetics and how environment and the things that we do, how that changes kind of how we function. Like I'm fascinated by people who are like... Overnight nurses or shift workers, like how you function both ways, because you're always kind of have a foot in both worlds. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's always been interesting to me how we can sort of trick our bodies into doing other things than what's natural to them. Yeah. And how long can you sustain that?
0: Is it possible? That's a good point. I remember growing up at one point, my dad worked a lot of night shifts as a policeman. Yeah. And There was always a sense of like having a foot in both worlds. And we would have to, as a family, sort of know like, okay, he's in the transition period between like his, you know, few days of sleeping during the day and working at night. And now we're at the weekend and he's expected to like contribute and be a member of the family over the actual day. Right. How that works. How that kind of, yeah,
1: messes with a lot of things.
0: Aaron, every time we talk, we reveal something new. And this is your obsession with circadian rhythms. I did not know about this. I,
1: yeah, I didn't. I mean, to be fair, it's not something that I don't think I've like accurately maybe recognized and talked about. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I, I realize, yeah, it's been a thing. Yeah. I, I think about it a lot and I read about it. I'm always sucked in by a book like that.
0: You're just so cerebral. Is that it? Thoughtful.
1: (laughs) I think most people would say anxious and obsessive. No, I'm spinning it positive.
0: See, you're self-sabotaging right now. I am saying you are so thoughtful and curious Uh and interested and cerebral.
1: Oh, I'm so there take, you go. I'm going to take all of that. Good. Yep. 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 <laughs> it's not me crazy up at 2 no. a.m.
0: being like, no. What is happening with my body? I have to know right now. Nope. It is your <laughs> brain saying, man, I'm curious yeah. about what's happening right now. Yeah. And I'm curious about why are we are the way we are. Yes. And your curiosity will not be slated by normal sleep. It needs to wake you up because right. it's so curious. It
1: needs to be heard. Yeah. Okay. So that's it. I'm going to go with that.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> well, I feel like sabotage happens a lot in the arena of competition. Yes. Especially when we're put into competitions. Do you think that competition is healthy or do you think it always leads to some kind of sabotage or other gross behavior?
0: So may I remind you of my feelings about games?
1: Yes, you okay. may. Mm-hmm. Um
0: And let me illustrate with a few examples in which there have been multiple times that I have been forced into sitting down and playing a board game and Mm -hmm. someone is explaining the rules to me and I'm starting to cry, but trying to hide it because I'm so freaked out by these rules and the expectations that are going to follow. And I feel my body just shutting down. And in my head, it's saying like, oh, my God, everyone's going to find out you're an idiot because you can't follow these rules. Like it's it's a whole thing.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: So. I don't like competition. <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly. But also, I think competition, games, whatever, right? Competition at work, I think, breeds assholery. It breeds mm-hmm. sexism. Mm-hmm. It breeds some sort of like, well, they're doing this, so like, they're not as good as me. It feels like competition at work, sometimes in games, in everything, can create a sense of other. Like I am competing against that person and mm. somehow I need to cut that person down to right. reveal myself as better than them. And I think it leads to all sorts of bad behavior that then transcends into like our politics and, and, sure. and yeah. you know, our world. So the moral of the story is competition sucks and games are bad.
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, I can get there. I can get there with everything that you said, 100%. So to to play devil's advocate, how do you think, do you think there's a more effective way to pull out people's best? I think that's always the way it's framed, right? We need competition to get the next great idea.
0: And that's where I get stuck because I think our society is so based on competition. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what is the alternative? Right. There has to be an alternative, but I've never really seen it, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't think really any of us do. But if there is some sort of alternative in which ideas are not pitted against each other, or people are not pitted against each other, I don't know what it is, but it'd be great. Yeah. In all of your reading
1: uh-huh.
0: about business, uh-huh. Have there been models posited against competition or is everything like competition is great
1: I don't I, a lot of the business books I read don't really focus on that they're more internally focused because gotcha. I don't really yeah. care I, I'm not in a I mean obviously I'm in it's competitive I guess on some level but it's not like the head-to-head competition yeah. that I think may be more like marketing or things like that where right. one idea gets picked so I don't really read a lot of books geared towards that but I I am aware enough of both sides of the argument kind of of where it started from and why we think as people it helps facilitate something but i'm also interested in this idea that there's actually better ways mm-hmm. to get it than to just pit people against each other yeah because then you sort of lose sight of the what you're actually competing for it becomes right. more of like you said um a worth battle like are you yes a good person or I'm on top of this. It becomes less about like one of us came up with a better idea Mm -hmm. and more about like, well, you're a terrible person and I'm great.
0: Well, and you did mention like fields like advertising and marketing, and that's where my career has been. And so I am thinking a lot about like even brainstorming meetings, which are just so flawed first in and of it themselves. But I think the way that we've been taught to think about that kind of stuff is throwing out ideas and which ideas win and which, you know, and then if your idea isn't, getting play then yeah you're internalizing is like you're either internalizing or they're telling you like okay you got to do better like you're not doing good enough because your idea didn't win this battle of ideas and it's so anxiety prone it is and yeah you're right you sort of build your self-worth on that your career worth Mm -hmm. it's it's not good
1: no no and really when you think about it What happens is it takes away that level of someone being feeling like they're worthy or set in something. Like Mm -hmm. if I feel like every day I come to work, I have to have the best idea. I never feel like what I'm doing is valuable or important enough to keep me. I'm only as good as my next idea. Exactly.
0: And the most creative ideas, the most maybe innovative ideas don't necessarily win the battle of ideas. So as a business, you're not really moving forward. You're just using the same old things. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Competition is bad, Erin. I, hey. I don't have an alternative for you. That's all but right. But
1: Hey, recognizing it's half the problem. Sometimes we need someone just to say, that's bad. Work on it.
0: And I'll just say it again. Games are terrible. They are terrifying and terrible. I
1: mean, we know this. It's been mentioned. <laughs> but, but speaking of things that get revealed, I didn't know it was at the level of yeah. panic that you get. Like, I understood you didn't like games. But, like, to be that upset makes me feel sad.
0: Yeah. Like... <laughs> there was one guy i was dating that was really into board games and i was telling myself like it's fine i'll be fine and you could tell though but i knew like how much they were important to him mm. so i was getting that like vibe and then when he would explain the like a whole book full of rules and i just yeah i was okay, sheer panic too
1: much yeah
0: sheer panic and like oh my god i'm gonna disappoint him and i'm gonna disappoint myself and even on like less um you know not not yeah. like people you're dating or whatever, but with friends. It's all of those feelings. And also, I can feel my brain start to go haywire. Where I might be logical in any other situation, I can feel like I'm instantly forgetting everything you're telling me. And I'm just going to start shouting names and <laughs> numbers. And like, yeah. I got nothing. I got, I got nothing. nothing. Yeah,
1: I can get there. Well,
0: Hence the stress crying <laughs> uh, <understandable laughs> that I hide <laughs> from everyone. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Final question for you. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I want to talk about nemeses.
1: Love one. Love having a nemesis. Mm -hmm.
0: If you had a nemesis, I mean, obviously you have many nemeses. So many. If you wanted to pursue sabotage mm-hmm. upon said nemesis or mm-hmm. enemies, mm-hmm. is there a method you would use or have previously used?
1: I would, like prior, probably five years ago, I would have said that I tend to be more in the like psychological warfare type yeah. of situation. Definitely. Like, and I've actually adopted and changed my entire system. What? Against my nemesis. Yeah. This is how I view it. Now. Okay. And right. and, and it, it might sound misguided, but just stay with me. Yep. Nope. Okay. I am squarely, squarely in the camp of ghosting slash letting you spin out. Because it has been my experience that if you rise to the level that you're a nemesis, you are on your way to some sort of crash. And I don't need to facilitate that. I can just gleefully watch it. (laughs) And I don't have to participate. So I've sort of, and sometimes ghosting is the is the thing that sent the catalyst that sends someone into that spin out. Mm-hmm. Because most people that rise to the level of nemesis for me can't handle not getting
0: attention. Right. Or They not. are demanding yes. your attention. And yes. if you're just
1: like, that's not worth my time. I like the idea that sometimes ghosting communicates. I don't have to answer that.
0: Or you're not worth a reply. Yes. Yeah. And that's
1: a new theory for me yeah. in the last year. or So like, i i get to decide whether or not i respond to that and you know what i've decided i'm not Mm-mm. so let that sink in mm-hmm. and i've noticed that when that happens you'll see a couple behaviors if it's in email i've done this a couple times in email it's just nothing you'll get another email yep. and then i know i'm in yes. now you have made a move that's going to allow me to win this game is what's happened.
0: I'm thinking specifically of a story you related a while back where a, a client or a yeah. person that you were working with was doing this and your lack of response
1: just caused the emails to escalate mm. at an, an amazing rate. Yeah. And you, that's the first test and you just failed. I get the email and I'm in and now it's a game and I will not respond. <laughs> you could call me every name in the book and I still won't respond. Which or, this person,
0: particular person started to yeah. call you names. Yeah,
1: Or... I will respond and it will be so generic and vague and or so professional that you are not, you will spend hours and days trying to figure out what I actually meant. Yeah. And what I meant is what I said. (laughs) And that's the problem. That right there to me is the best way to get under someone's skin.
0: It's brutal Uh and brilliant.
1: It's brutal, but your hands are clean. Yeah. (laughs) So you could spin I out, like but that, all I did was respond and say, thank you for the email.
0: I, <laughs> that's pretty great. That's like an LOL. Yeah. Like thank somebody just email. spinning out and you're like, LOL. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I like this. And remember in the past, we've talked multiple times about offering relationship services. Mm-hmm. The, I think that we should add uh, nemesis uh, services as yes. well. We could help aid the spinning out yes. of said nemesis for yes. people by very well worded Replies and or ghosting.
1: I feel that so it's a skill I've very expertly honed, which is mm-hmm. that I'm particularly good at someone telling me who their nemesis is and telling you exactly how to handle them. I, I can see it much more clearly. It takes me a little bit in my own world sometimes, For sure. But I can tell you, and if you can stay the course with me, you're gonna you're gonna be happy with the result. Mm-hmm. I'm just telling you, you're gonna see, be happy. That's it. Mm-hmm.
0: I think we've moved on to like life coach in a way, but in yes. like a real life coach. Just
1: think about it this way. Anyone that you have ever seen in an argument, does the argument stop when the other person gets angry and starts yelling? Or does the argument stop if no one responds? Mm. Because then you're just crazy yelling in the middle of a room by yourself.
0: And then you're revealed for who you really are. are. Nemesis. Nemesis.
1: Or uh, there's also been times I've decided I have a nemesis and I just wait for them to fail because I know I don't have to tell you you're going to fail. You're not going to hear that from me. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm just going to watch you fail and then dance on your grave. (laughs) It's
0: brutal. I love when we have these conversations because you reveal a very evil and cruel side to you that is so unlike every other part of your personality. Mm -hmm. And it's exciting.
1: Mike often says that I, I mean, and I know we've made comparisons before, but I really am like the mafia. If you're in my inner circle, you're Uh good. Nothing's going to happen. I will take a bullet from you, for you, but... If you get outside that circle, God have mercy on your soul because I, no holds barred. No holds barred. I got nothing. I got nothing.
0: Well, my new life goal is to stay friends with you. You're
1: fine. You're squarely in the circle. You're in the inner circle. You're not even in the outer circle. You're in the inner circle, which means you have an extra level of protection.
0: So, all right. But this is a good point that seeing, like, we can't often see the right response we should give to people in our own lives. Mm-hmm. So swapping stories, getting advice from the other, yes. from a uh, brilliantly cruel person like you would be very helpful.
1: Right. Yeah. And I'm fine with that. that. Mm-hmm. Is, I am fine. If you yeah. need advice, let me know. Yeah. I'm fine with it. <laughs> Happy to do it. You can email us at brilliantly cruel nemesis at gmail.com <laughs> i suddenly
0: feel really weird for crawling you cruel this is the no. only area of your life i would ever yeah, call you it was that accurate. it's not even really
1: cruel didn't bother me okay i accepted it Great. i was like good you see me for what's happening that means that you have been listening so
0: okay well speaking of cruel yeah i got a fiction pick for you yes all about sabotage Ooh. And it's a classic. Oh, a classic. By which I mean it is a classic book from Margaret Atwood of oh. 1993. Oh. It is called The Robber Bride. Oh. So I have been embarking on a great rereading endeavor. Really? In which I am so I was a big Margaret Atwood fan uh-huh. growing up I think I honestly I think I learned how to write by reading her sure because as I'm revisiting some of these books because my goal is like I'm I have all of these Margaret Atwood books and I haven't read a lot of them for a long time right so I'm revisiting them and as I revisit them I'm like I come back to it and I'm like oh I learned to write from that part right there and oh I totally just stole that right there so oh, there interesting. we are so Margaret Atwood that's where I'm at and this was one of those examples. Yeah. So the robber bride, the first thing to know is there is a grim fairy tale called the Robber Bridegroom, and it's about an evil groom who lures three, three maidens into his lair and devours them. And I think uh. we can take that sexually, but also literally. uh-huh., okay. yep. It was so a lair, in, yes. so that was the yep. first, yeah. Uh-huh. So in this story, the robber Bride, the devourer is a woman, and her name is Xenia. Zenia, I can't remember if it's Zenia or Xenia. Xenia. We're going to go with Xenia. We're going to go with yours. It's yeah. your, it's your <laughs> book today. <laughs> so we come to know Xenia by her three friends, Tony, Karis, and Roz. And all of these four people, they met in college. And one by one, though, each of the friends lost men, money, and time to Xenia. So mm. over the years, Xenia has pushed her way into their lives with these massive lies, like... She tells one of them she has cancer, doesn't have cancer. She tells another one that she's a world traveling journalist. Nope, not true. She tells all of them various uh, origin stories for herself. She tells one of them that she was born to a Russian princess. She tells one a Romanian traveler. She tells one a Czech refugee. So it's Ooh. you never know mm-hmm. what's going to come out of her mouth. You never know what's true okay. with her. Mm-hmm. Which then leads to the question at the beginning, Xenia is supposed to be dead. But is she because one of them then sees her in, oh. out in the wild and she might be hanging on the arm of one of the three friends, young sons, like oh, no. romantically. Oh, no. Yeah. So great premise. And I chose it for this theme because Zenny is a great villain. Yeah. But I think the book is so much more about how we as women sabotage ourselves, mm. too. Mm mm-hmm. um, Because this came out in 1993, a lot of the action is set in the 60s, 70s, 80s. And I think it's still relevant today, but keep that in mind when you're thinking about like gender norms and gender stereotypes. So Tony, one of the friends, she multiple times loses the same man to Xenia. She doesn't think too hard about why she would stick with a guy that keeps leaving her Uh and then keeps going back to Xenia. Karis, another one of the friends... She loses a man. She loses her naive, naivete. She even loses a bunch of chickens to Xenia. She isn't able to see how horrible her man is mm. and how her own family trauma has led her to just accept so little in her life. And then Raz, she loses her career, her magazine, her husband to Xenia. She has long ago just accepted that it's fine that her husband cheats on her all the time. Mm. In order to keep her money and reputation. So Xenia, who is breaking these lives, I think she's actually like revealing some of the massive cracks that are already there. Right. She's just sort of stomping on them. And we're taught to accept the men that choose us no matter what. And so all of these men in the women's lives, they're all kind of shit. And Xenia takes them and shows like that they're not great. But the impetus is then to to blame Xenia for all of their problems so I think it's really interesting it's super rich there's a lot of depth you're going to care about each of the characters but at the same time be so interested and fascinated and terrified by Xenia because she's a great con artist great Mm. villain and it's a big one so if you're in the mood for like a 500 page book yeah get Get into into it. it okay yeah
1: that's one I haven't read so yeah by Margaret
0: Atwood Yes, and I still have my copy from the 90s. So it smelled really nice, and all the pages are brown. Mm -hmm. Now I've moved on to The Blind Assassin, which is also an old copy. So I'm having a great time. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Look at you.
1: (laughs) Well, for my fiction pick, this one was published in April of 2021. So it's a newer one. Mm -hmm. It's called The Good Sister by Sally Hepworth. And I do believe that Sally Hepworth has written some other things. This is the first time I've encountered her. Um, And I will tell you right out of the gate that this is – so twisty really propulsive and it's kind of all the things you want in like a grab your attention book Fern and Rose are sisters and they grew up together through a very difficult childhood. And because Rose is older, she kind of took on this protector role with Fern. And we kind of learn off the bat that maybe there's Fern struggles. She works at the local library and she's like delightfully unique, but she's very settled in her routine. She does not vary it and she's very self-aware, acutely aware that she needs to avoid crowds, overstimulation, these things. But Rose also has really pumped this into her in the name of like success and being the best version of Fern she can be like, you know, yourself, don't do these things. So Fern would do anything for Rose because she's the constant. She's always been there. And an opportunity presents itself for Fern to be a surrogate for Rose to have a baby for Rose because Rose um, is not able to biologically. So Fern decides she's going to step up in this moment and I cannot tell you anything else without Whoa! ruining the book. But I chose it for this theme because there's a huge part of self-sabotage in this book mm. that, to me, is sort of the definition of self-sabotage, which is allowing other people to define us or mm-hmm. make decisions for us.
0: Ooh, yeah. You know, We,
1: we kind of like to make ourselves small and reduce the risk of failure and accept what other people say because yeah. it's easier sometimes, right? Like, you no, know, I am kind of like that. And it can be especially difficult when that's family um, or people that are supposed to have your best interests in mind. And mm-hmm. you realize, okay, wait a minute, that's that's not actually helpful at yeah. all. And so I think that Fern and Rose are both struggling with this. And so seeing this play out in a sister relationship, in a family relationship, in a situation where someone has believed something their whole life since their childhood, it is so, so good. Um, I'll be the first to admit that prior to the holidays and really kind of through december early january i was kind of in a reading slump again mm-hmm. like i was just struggling and this pulled me right out oh, of it good. like it was just exactly what i needed it's got a great plot but it's also deep enough and giving you something else um i highly highly recommend it it was great and you're never gonna you're never gonna
0: guess what happens
1: oof it's It gets dark, and I liked it.
0: (laughs) I really like that definition of self-sabotage that you gave, where there's a part of us that are sort of just accepting what others say about us Mm -hmm. or accepting the the limits that we might put on ourselves.
1: Like if someone tells you your whole life you're a certain way, you sort of believe that to a certain extent until you realize. And it's hard work to realize that, no, wait a minute, I'm not. And Mm -hmm. you can let that voice it's almost like that takes on its own voice in your head, even separate from anyone else. And it can really dictate what you do and how far you can go. Hold you out of your slump. It did. It pulled me right out. I thought, well, I'll give it a try. I don't know. It was like one of those ones where you haven't heard anything about it. Oh yeah. You know, like those Ooh, little gems. You found a hidden gem. I did. And then I was like, this is amazing. I couldn't put it down. I was like, I'm back. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, that's kind of why I started on the rereading endeavor because I was stuck again. Mm -hmm. I was just in a place like mentally and everything where just nothing was sounding good. So I returned to one of my great loves. Yes. And there she was waiting for me.
1: And There was offering all new insights about self-sabotage. Yes. (laughs) Serving our purpose.
0: Well, for other genre book, Mm -hmm. I have a memoir and it comes from Liz Fair. musician, Mm -hmm. Liz Fair. The story or the book is called Horror Stories, and it came out in 2019. And Liz Fair, if you don't know, she came out to sort of massive acclaim in the mid-90s with her album Exile in Guyville. She was 25. She became this feminist icon and also this sort of massive lightning rod for douchebags. So there she was, you know, at at a pretty young age, finding this fame, finding a lot of like People putting agendas on her, both good and bad. Right. So she started out in Wicker Park in Chicago in a rock scene that was filled with assholes Mm -hmm. uh, who didn't want her there. And so it gave her a lot of material for records, but it also gave her a lot of very personal, embarrassing and tough stories. And that's what she shares here. The memoir is all about her musical history, but also it's framed in the way of moments that have haunted her. Like Ooh. pain, shame, fear. So for example, she gets real honest about falling for the wrong guy and having affairs. She tells the story of when she was young and there was a strange woman passed out on a bathroom floor that no one was helping. She, there's stories about the emptiness that she felt on photo shoots and having sort of celebrity moments. Uh, there's a very interesting and pointed and timely essay about working with abusers mm-hmm. in the music industry. And it's So it's super intimate, but you can also see yourself in there as a woman and as a person in the world. Mm-hmm. And I chose it for this theme because I think there's moments that we all regret, uh-huh. right? There's things that we wish that we'd done something different, uh-huh. or we are ashamed somehow of the things that we have done. We're embarrassed, we're hurt, And we can continue to hurt ourselves by remembering those and in a way sort of sabotage ourselves by remembering like, oh God, I did this and I felt so bad for it. Uh So I'm never going to try anything like that again. I think that what she's saying is there's an element of bravery in facing some of our own horror stories mm-hmm. facing some of those things that we've done and even sharing them mm-hmm. and realizing that we all have them right mm-hmm. and and maybe in that way they sort of lose their crippling effect on us and so I was thinking about that a lot when I was reading this that you know all of those things like when we're laying uh, Uh, laying in bed at night and we can't sleep and we're thinking about the terrible embarrassing thing we did 20 years ago and it just won't leave us and it's also like ha 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 you can't sleep because I'm making you remember this um, I think that's a form of shame and self-sabotage. And she's just dragging them out to the light and telling them all about us or telling us all about them in a way that they might be useful.
1: Yeah, you know? which is very cool because I think that that's something that we shy away from, which is like we let shame or shameful moments have this power over us. Yep. And if we just sort of put it out there and say, yeah, this is what it is. Yeah. You know, shame's such a powerful thing that we struggle, I feel like, as a whole human race to really grasp and
0: understand. Absolutely. And so I think because of that, because it's about shame just as a human being, as a human woman, this is a a book for anyone. I mean, if you're a fan, great, but you don't have to be. Yeah. Because I think she writes so well about just living in the world Mm. and taking some of those things that you're ashamed of and embarrassed of and just owning it. Yeah. And saying, you know what? I'm going to learn from it. Sure. Here it is.
1: Here it is. Right here. Smack it in the face. Well, for uh, my other genre pick this week, this is, um, it's fiction, but it's like 100 pages. I'm putting this squarely in the novella category. Yeah, there you go. So that's kind of why it's other genre. It was published in September of 2021. It's called Assembly by Natasha Brown. And the narrator in this story is a black British woman who works in the government. So that's where Assembly comes from. She's preparing to attend a large, lavish party thrown by her boyfriend's family. And... Right as she's getting ready to do this, she receives some devastating news. And she's trying to grapple with how she's going to handle the news, the pressure of this large party, and sort of getting a new job in government, and what that means for people she has to work with that she doesn't like, um, what that means for the trajectory her career's on. Like, is this what she imagined where she wants it to go? So, With all of this in mind, she's preparing for this weekend, and this is what's brilliant about the book. The narrator just very carefully shows us all the ways that she puts herself in a box. Like, oh, well, you know, I'm this person, and then I'm this person, and then I'm this person. and basically all the ways that we assemble ourselves into what someone else wants to see as opposed to what we've decided we actually want to be. Mm -hmm. So to me, this is almost like poetry in a sense, because each sentence is very carefully constructed and the whole thing kind of feels like a Jenga game. Like you're pulling pieces and restacking and you're trying to keep the structure steady, but you're kind of in this moment with her because you know what the devastating news is and she's trying to grapple with it. And, It's just a really good iteration of self-sabotage because it's, again, allowing someone else to decide your worth or decide your course of action or decide how you should be or appear, how you get to be in the world instead of deciding how you want to be in the world. It's so beautifully written. It's really compact, um, really quick read in that sense, but it's also very powerful. And the ending, the decisions that she makes, it's so interesting in this thought of self-sabotage and sometimes the not being able to recognize that we're allowing someone else to define us Mm -hmm. ends up putting us in a position where we can do nothing but self-sabotage because we're so desperate to get out or do something different Mm -hmm. so it was really good
0: fascinating that's interesting to think too about like the power that expectations put on us Mm -hmm. but also like biases i mean you mentioned that she's a black british woman i imagine there's a lot of you know, messages that she's getting about Mm -hmm. herself that she may internalize and then that becomes a form of self-sabotage too. Right. Or things that you have to do in
1: order to get ahead because you're trying to work for this greater good. So, yeah, you have to make a few sacrifices here, but... You know, isn't it more important to have the bigger picture? I mean, all these little things that we do, you know, Mm -hmm. it's all those Jenga pieces we pull out and we keep stacking and hope it doesn't fall over.
0: And for women, too, we're told that we have to have a certain amount of things to make a full life, like a a checklist or something to Mm -hmm. being a woman. So if you haven't reached those by a certain age or you're not sure if you want them, like that can be a whole other sort of voice of societal expectation that then becomes a bit of sabotage right yeah absolutely
1: 100 percent yeah it's it's almost a quiet book in a way where it's not like it's not particularly plot driven it's more like you're in this character's head just just living this with them Mm -hmm. but it's so relatable for a first person narrator like that to be so in someone's head but also feel able to relate it so much to your own personal life is that's some that's some writing right there (laughs) that's some good
0: old-fashioned writing. Is that writing spelled W-R-I-T-I-N? Apostrophe. apostrophe. Yeah. You know it. Good. Yep. I almost forgot how a W sounded when I was trying to spell the word writing. I, yeah, yeah, it's fair. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. I kind of threw you for a loop. I don't mm. know where. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Also, on a completely separate but also self-sabotage note, I want to note that I've been picking my thumb this whole time, and I believe I've started bleeding, yep, and I wanted to reference our conversation (laughs) about finger mutilation Uh from last week.
1: Yeah, I've been doing it the whole time. Yeah, Mm
0: -hmm. and there's really nothing to be anxious about. It's just, I'm just doing it, and it is bright red, and it is gross, and the whole tips of my fingers are starting to be... Right. Yeah, it's uh-huh. real,
1: it's real bad. This one's, I really did a number on yeah, that one yep. Yeah, you did. Yep, it's, yeah. yep, that's it's red
0: and bloody. Red
1: yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> and, <laughs> and bloody. <laughs> if you're listening to this and hear that, it just <laughs> sounds <laughs> terrible. Why would someone do that to themselves?
0: Also, I talked to someone from the Des Moines Public Library uh, that had listened to that episode. And he's like, by the way, I mutilate my fingers too. And I'm like, with the finger mutilators unite. That's amazing. Here we are. That's so great. I was like, wait, is this something we should celebrate? Yeah. I don't care. That's what's happening. Yeah. Celebrating. Do, do you blood. want to share why you were talking to someone at oh, the Des Moines Public Library? Because I'm going to be on their podcast. Yes, you are. Yeah. And he was interviewing me, but he also had to mention Which I appreciate. that, hey, yeah. I listened to this episode and I felt the connection. That, that's nice. Because that makes he me makes feel his good. fingers bloody yeah. too. Yeah. Do we know when that's airing yet? I believe uh, Monday. So this is Sunday that we're recording so I believe it's coming out tomorrow. Okay,
1: so by the time you listen to this as a listener, I think you're so. 2 days behind. Yes. So you got this and you got the Des Moines
0: Public Library podcast to listen to. Don't so worry, we'll share that? Yes. Yeah. yeah okay. we will be out Good. there. Good.
1: Good. Yeah. Good.
0: Okay. So for pop culture pick. Pop culture. I'm going straight back to our music selection. Oh man. And I'm choosing a documentary called The Beastie Boys Story oh. from Apple TV. Okay. This came out in 2020. Oh. It's a documentary, but it's also live action. It oh. is Mike D and Ad Rock, otherwise known as Mike Diamond and Adam Horovitz, who are on a stage and they're showing like graphics and videos and stuff, but there's a live audience and they're talking through the story of their friendship as kids in New York, oh. uh, the beginnings of the band, the evolution of the band and the end of the band. And it's this really cool collaboration that's also directed by Spike Jones, who directed the Sabotage oh, video. Call
1: callback! Boom.
0: He did a lot of their videos, including yeah. Sabotage. So it's a very super entertaining, like, hour and a half. Whether you're a big fan, whether you're a casual listener, I think you'll get a lot out of this. And I chose it for this theme because I was really struck by the story of how they, as a band, first found fame. Mm. They they were sort of portraying themselves as these boozy frat brothers singing, you got to fight for your right to party, yeah, right? which right. was mid-'80s or so. And they, Mike D and Ad Rock, they were talking about how it was almost sort of a joke mm-hmm. that the three of them, like, yeah, we're going to be these party guys, mm-hmm. whatever, playing a role. But they blew up after that song. Mm. So there was pressure on them from the recording industry, from everyone to keep playing that role, to be those guys and to keep releasing the same kind of music Uh to keep, you know, keep that that money train going. To the point that they both admit, like, they started losing themselves. They started Mm. becoming those guys so much. And the music they were creating, they weren't feeling it. It was putting pressure on their friendship that was really bad. There was substance stuff. So their fame and their creation, it was sabotaging them. Ah. So they had to find their way back to who who they were as individuals, as friends, and find the way back to making music that they really enjoyed and, and created joy from. And it was that that started, they made these, um, a couple of albums that really sort of tanked. But they were very super rich, highly unique stuff that now they're sort of lauded. But Mm. at the time, they tanked because they weren't Fight for Your Right to Party. Didn't expect, yeah. But the album that came out in 1994 with Sabotage was a massive hit because they returned to sort of their roots of who they wanted to be and they started messing around with instruments and different kinds of songs. And so... In the in the show, they're also talking a bit about their own evolution. So I mentioned before I'm a big fan of Kathleen Hannah, who was in the band Bikini Kill, and she's married to Adam Horowitz. And through their relationship in the nineties, he came to sort of evolve into this really powerful feminist mm. who was calling out sexism in the industry at the video music awards, like everywhere. So, from that first role of like boozy frat guy, you know, singing about girls, girls, girls to like who he is now, that was a big path to follow. So they also, of course, they talk about the loss of their third member and friend, um, MCA, otherwise known as Adam Youch. And when he died uh, several years ago now, the band, they just stopped because it wasn't going to be a band anymore without right. him. So it's it's super entertaining. Like I said, it's a, a quick uh, show. It's a very cool format. And of course, it's a great soundtrack. But I really like that story of like... Finding, you know, fame, finding what you're supposed to find, yeah, and then feeling completely empty and feeling like they were sabotaging themselves by continuing to go after that. Mm. That Sounds good. And then coming out triumphant,
1: yeah. Hello, we're back. Yes, Mm -hmm.
0: with sabotage.
1: Get it? Which is solid, solid work. Just great tie-in, right? So good. Yeah, it was perfect tie-in.
0: Thank you. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I for my pop culture pick this week, I'm going with a podcast. Bring it. It's called Decoder Ring. Okay. And this is hosted by Willa Paskin. Um, full disclosure, I started it because it was called out in an episode of You're Wrong About. Um, they actually had Willa Paskin on as a guest host, and they talked through it, and they were talking about it. And so it's something that I started with Evan in the car because sometimes we need stuff to listen to. He's, we're driving back and forth to school all the time for practices and stuff, and it's nice to have something that we can both listen to and talk about. And this one, it basically the whole premise of the show is it takes a cultural question, object, or habit, examines the history, and tries to figure out like what does this mean in society and why did this even matter. So a couple of my favorites so far: the real story behind Chuck E. Cheese. Oh God! The real story behind what they call "Sad Jennifer Aniston," like just can't (gasps) keep a man, can't have a kid, can't have
0: a baby. Yeah.
1: The real story of the song "Baby Shark." Oh, God. Yeah. Fascinating. That one blew my mind. So it's pop culture, society. And the reason that I picked it for this is because... Pop culture and society play a huge part in our self-worth and how we view ourselves. We often measure up to, well, is that cool? Is that what I should be doing? Is that how I should be reacting? And when you find out the real stories behind these things, you realize, like, why did I put any emphasis or time into that? Like, that makes no sense. Like, it was just created by this random person who was, you know, looking to make a quick buck. And now I've built my whole self-worth around being this image or being cool or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So I thought that it fit this theme because it's I think one way to combat self-sabotage is to have a wider worldview, to learn about where things come from, to sort of explore and expand that knowledge base and you start to realize, okay, that doesn't matter because it doesn't matter. It has no Mm -hmm. effect. You know, the in the sad Jennifer Aniston episode they talk (laughs) about how this got to be that when she was breaking up with Brad Pitt and it was, he's going with Angelina Jolie and it's because she doesn't want to have a baby. And they were showing clips of interviews where she was pretty worked up and she's like, I was never the thing. Like it wasn't about, and let me tell you all that these are women writing these headlines too. And like, shouldn't we be together banding together? And I'm not sad. You know, there's all these every time a headline comes out and they kind of did a deep dive into the tabloid type market and how that machine sort of plays out. Like, Mm -hmm. no, we're going to get more more clicks now clicks or we're gonna sell more copies if we include this like yeah. oh, if we she's... make her
0: real sad yes yeah that's Just better sad than and desperate
1: a, a woman that's making it on her own and doesn't need good it. lord that yeah.
0: doesn't sell
1: yeah no not at all we and it was great everything. because will paskin is very open about the fact that for a period of time she worked at us weekly and oh. she used to have to go do the surveys you know they do surveys like 10 percent of people think that Uh, Yeah, you know like this better or whatever and she said you know you're supposed to go out like in Times Square New York she's supposed to ask people questions and she said I'd ask like five people and get there. And I hated it so much that <laughs> then I would just extrapolate the results oh, from there. Like, fully admitting that these are not real, like, results that we measure things. That, in by. and of
0: itself, is debunking a bunch of stuff. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: So just and, tired
0: ass journalist that doesn't want to do it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It yeah, doesn't want to do this stupid, pointless survey. Yeah. So I loved it. The Baby Shark one, yes, it will get stuck in your head because they're going to play you different versions, but it's a huge copyright case that is fascinating and the whole beginning of it i mean it is it's a a, weird that a 37 minute episode about baby shark could be so twisty but i'm telling you it was worth it it's a very straightforward podcast like it's just her and her team doing the research and she just walks you through it they might play clips from interviews or whatever but it's basically her just kind of explaining what the basis is for that some of the other ones i haven't gotten to yet are like where did hotel art come from why is that a thing Oh. You know, just all over the board, different things that you're like, wait, what? Yeah, what is that about? Like, why did we all just accept that this new phenomenon?
0: So I love that.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting.
0: And I love what you said, like, just learning more will help us stop sabotaging ourselves.
1: Yeah, yeah. if you can understand the origins of things, it yes, always helps absolutely. you make a better and more informed decision. Yeah. yeah.
0: What does Evan think about the podcast? He likes it. Yeah. yeah
1: we started with the Chuck E. Cheese one, and he... Paused it to tell me this horrific story about a murder that happened at <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese, which I mean, granted, <laughs> I am his mother and I do, you know. I mean, he knows he his was audience. on point. Yeah, he knew yeah. a surprising amount about it. So we had a conversation I about mean, that. But he's
0: your son. Yeah, it was yeah. something. Uh huh.
1: But then also we had a good laugh because Chuck E. Cheese is exactly the place you think a murder would happen.
0: I mean, it would drive some people to murderous yeah. impulses. I could see that. It's yeah. a
1: giant rat.
0: Yeah, it's terrifying.
1: Yeah. I saw some comedian made a comment about Chuck E. Cheese, like, they're advertising that rats came there and they can't even get out. They can't even leave. Like, they can't. They want to and they can't. Like that's And that
0: always have. makes me think of Showbiz Pizza and how terrifying that was with that, all the animatronics. That's what the story, yeah, That's what the okay.
1: episode's about because that was how the Basically origins. Basically took that. Okay, right. Yes. Yeah. yes yeah, yeah. How Chuck E. Cheese started a Showbiz Pizza.
0: Yeah. Just terrible ideas, Terrible, but yet they've persisted. And those, those
1: weird animals never They're work scary. right Chuck No, e. Cheese. So you've got like band members that are just getting it yeah. to a Chuck E. Cheese song, and then you have a rat that's just like <laughs> head down in the corner dark, and you're like, this is a horrible metaphor for what's happening in this restaurant. Like, I don't even know. I feel know. like at
0: some point those animals achieved like self-awareness, and yeah. that rat's over there like, what is my life? Yeah. Why? Why am I here? He's
1: just self punching. He needs to get out. I will be in this corner. Yeah. I have done us all a disservice. I'm sorry.
0: But someday he'll learn enough. And he'll stop self-sabotaging. And he'll escape.
1: And that weird, ambiguous bird that's like, you're kind of trying to be Big Bird, but you're not (laughs) a Big Bird. She's always on point. She's just getting it on that keyboard all the time. She never breaks down.
0: I mean, I have to admit, I don't think I've been to a Chuck E. Cheese Mm -hmm. and maybe... 25 30 years it would be weird if you had. it would be since I have no children yeah, and would I would weird. just be very creepy mm-hmm. hanging out there mm-hmm. so I will rely on you mm-hmm. to describe the terrors and horrors mm-hmm. of that place but it sounds terrible
1: mm-hmm. it's awful yeah
0: and my own childhood memories of showbiz pizza are enough to scare me away should be yeah they should be yeah Mm -hmm. it's not a great place sounds like a great podcast though it is it's really it's Mm. really
1: great and they vary in length and there's all kinds of you can pick and choose topics that interest you you know it's great so highly recommend decoder ring
0: excellent Mm -hmm. so I think we've shown people how to stop self-sabotaging stop it (laughs) and not just by saying stop it no Mm -mm. but by learning more yes expanding your knowledge and knowing that you don't have to.
1: And if you're having trouble not concentrating on your own self-sabotage, concentrate on sabotaging someone else.
0: Yes. Focus on that nemesis.
1: Get to we ghosting. can help you. We
0: can help you with we your arch nemeses. You. We can
1: help you. And if you're one of those rare people who thinks you don't have a nemesis, mm. we also offer that service where <laughs> we'll look through your life and say, uh, what about this one right here? And or this one's a good candidate. And uh-huh. Uh-huh. have you thought about this over here? Because yeah. that's not right.
0: I remember this week, and I shared this with you, where I discovered because I was going to be on the library podcast, I was looking through the library Mm. and I discovered Mm -hmm. to my surprise and delight and horror that they have Des Moines area high school yearbooks going back Decades
1: And before you told me that, I did know this because I looked up mics on there. Did One you? time we heard that. We oh looked my it up God. There. Yeah,
0: it's pretty great. Well, yeah. so I looked up mine and I realized in my uh, senior picture page that my nemesis was pictured right above me. Mm. And then I was trying to remember why she was my nemesis. And I had no clear picture other than just an irrational hatred. But that irrational hatred felt good. It did. And if for a moment, me sitting here, a 44-year-old woman, I was like, I feel... I feel alive because of this hatred.
1: And I think it's success. If you don't remember why she was your nemesis, that means you won. (laughs) You're right. Because if you knew why, I'd be like, she's still getting the best of you. Yeah. We got to solve this. Yeah. But we don't. We have no more work to do there. No more work. You handled it.
0: Yep. All that to say, we can find you a nemesis if you need one. Because it feels good to have one. Yes.
1: Yes. The good news is, you got a couple weeks. You think about
0: it. Yeah. You think about it. Yeah. You come at us. Yeah. We'll help you. We'll help you. But then in two weeks, we'll we'll give you some new option. We'll yes. give you lots of stuff to read again. Mm-hmm. You can put in the work. Scintillating thoughts. Yes. And critiques mm-hmm. on the world, as we always do. Always.
1: That's a word I don't ever feel comfortable saying because I never say it
0: right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have words like that or you're just like, I can't say that? I remember in high school, I had a teacher that took great pleasure in saying the word titillating. Oh. And it always felt sort of wrong to uh-huh. me. So that's what I always think of. Is the word titling? Like I don't want to ever use it, really, because right. it just reminds me of that weird, yeah, like why potentially are you... creepy behavior. Uh huh. Yeah. Agreed. Uh-huh. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, the good news is we'll be back in two weeks, and it'll be titillating. It will. Yeah. In the meantime,
0: happy reading.